Please mute your mic. Sorry, Honorable Minister. Uh, Honorable Paula, please mute your mic. Sorry about that, Minister. You can continue. The budget board we are presenting before this August House for approval seeks to make our criminal justice system accessible and effective. The total departmental budget for 2020-2021 financial year was reduced by 460 million rands from 22.4 billion rands to 21.9 billion rands. The 460 million rand budget cut includes 111 million rands on compensation of employees, 122 million rands on court infrastructure, 152 million rands from the NPA. 10 million rands from the SIU and 23 million rands from the Legal Aid South Africa. In this revised budget allocation, 130 million rands was allocated to the State Capital Commission and 334 million rands is the marked through savings for COVID 19 related expenditure, such as PPE procurement and decontamination of offices and justice service points. The departmental focus and impetus on modernization, digitization, and business continuity challenges during the COVID-19 period necessitated the revision and increasing the budget for information and technology and modernization from 529 million rands to 663 million rands, supplemented with a further planned expenditure of 680 million rands on integrated justice system. To ensure maintenance of building and infrastructure, an amount of 64 million rands is allocated to day-to-day -day maintenance of ports. 24.4 million rands is set aside for upgrading of justice infrastructure. The budget being tabled makes provision for allocation to entities under the control of the Justice Minister. 2 billion rands is allocated to Legal Aid South Africa, 442 million rands to the Special Investigation Unit, 333 million rands to the Public Protector of South Africa, and 200 million rands to the South African Human Rights Commission. Honorable Chairperson, in 2019, we had set our eyes on modernizing the justice system. COVID-19 has laid bare missed opportunities over the past couple of years to modernize our justice system in order to have a direct bearing on how people, particularly of the working class communities, can access the system. To this end, I'm pleased that our domestic violence bill, which we will introduce soon into this August House, introduce modernization in a radical form. If passed, our domestic violence bill will make it possible for one to apply for, for a protection order online. This will be a leap forward in the fight against gender-based violence and femicide. This is the first of several reforms we want to introduce. For instance, there is no reason why uncontested divorce applications and maintenance applications cannot be done online. Our nation can, own, can truly benefit from a modernized and integrated justice system. In the previous financial year, we managed to roll out the personal identification and verification application named PIVA system, which is located in South African police service stations. It enables the identity of arrested individual to be verified using their fingerprints 
and checked against the Department of Home Affairs records. More than 227,098 accused persons have been verified via this system, and over 135,968 of these individuals, 60% had prior criminal records that could be referenced. Further, 6,205, which is a 2.3%, wanted persons could be identified and linked to SAPS circulations as persons of interest for other cases. This timeless information is assisted SAPS and NPA during the subsequent management of accused persons and provides data to, us, to assist bail considerations. As at March 2020, the South African Social Security Services had verified 154,974 beneficiaries. On 18 July 2019, we reached a key milestone by undertaking the first fully paperless case trial simulation. All parties in court were able to use their own laptops and mobile tab tablets to access and refer to digital versions of case materials. We completed the digital case bundle pilot at the Johannesburg High Court and Pretoria High Court, which was successful and we operationalized it at both these two sites. The project has established a centralized court e-filing help desk to provide support to both internal stakeholders, judges and court officials, and external stakeholders, legal practitioners. In this financial year, we will focus on increasing user ability, training and expanding this system across the country. Having said that, honorable members, I would like to emphasize that our criminal justice system does require significant reforms with regard to modernization. We will be initiating the process of reforming the Criminal Procedure Act in this financial year to address some of the systematic challenges and modernization of the Act. Honorable members, our Mocha Pay system had some challenges a couple of months ago. This system is the one used for, for payment of maintenance. The system has been resorted to fully functionality and the backlog payments are being addressed. We have enlisted the CSS, CSIR to assist and conduct a forensic investigation to establish what caused failures in the system. If it is found that there was any human intervention or human error, there will be consequences and there will be no uh, effort spared to ensure that the system functions optimally. We need everyone in society to tackle the scourge of gender-based violence. President Ramaphosa has characterized gender-based violence and femicide as the second pandemic that we have to contend Gender-based violence and femicide continue to erode the rights of women. Women no longer feel safe in any space in South Africa. Although the criminal justice system is not a silver bullet, it is critical in the fight against gender-based violence and femicide. The criminal justice system must be able to respond with the required level of sensitivity to the most vulnerable in society. It must continue to place victims at the center. In the past financial year, we have unveiled 13 sexual offenses courts across the country, which are centric in nature. With their assistance, honorable members, we now have four gender-based violence-related legislation, namely the Criminal Law Sexual Offenses Related Amendment Act, the Judicial Matters Amendment Act, the Recognition of Customary Marriage Amendment Act, 
and the Prescription in Civil and Criminal Matters Sexual Offenses Amendment Act. Soon, honorable members, we will be seized with three pieces of legislation which will further seek to address gender-based violence. This will amend the National Sexual Offenses Register, the Domestic Violence Act, and the regula regulate bail conditions for people who are accused of committing uh, sexual offenses. We hope these uh, bills will be introduced the uh, honorable members uh, by the month of, uh, of August. We have resolved that in the financial year 2020-2021, the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development will introduce a femicide Honorable Minister. <clears throat> Honorable Minister, we have lost you. Yeah. Honorable Minister, you took a pause. Yes, Chairman, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yeah, I, I can hear you now. Okay, you may continue. Oh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was just a network glitch, but uh, my opinion. Okay. On honorable members, the fight against corruption undoubtedly requires us to have strong state institutions, which have both technological and human resource capability. State institutions like the National Prosecuting Authority must have the capability to tackle any case in which valuable resources of this great nation have been diverted for the benefit of individuals at the expense of our society especially the poor. If individuals in positions of authority and great responsibility derail our path to social justice by stealing that which is, was intended to reconstruct South Africa, our justice system must be able to respond adequately with certainty and celerity. Corruption, including white collar and commercial crime, remains a challenge both in the public and private sector. It directly affects the ability Make your computer easier to use. Minister, are you going again? Last minister. Yeah, Chairperson, I'm surprised because I, I can hear you when you speak. Oh, oh so you should, you should just continue speaking. Okay. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. I can oh, hear okay, you okay. Uh, with the with okay, go. okay, go ahead, sir. <laughs> Thank you. If individuals in positions of authority and great responsibility read our path to social justice by stealing that which was intended to reconstruct South Africa, our justice system must be able to adequately, with certainty and severity, deal with such issues. Corruption, including white-collar commercial crime, remains a challenge both in the public and private sector. It directly affects the ability of the state to deliver much-needed services to the poor and the vulnerable. We are working to... It's gone again, Minister. It's gone again. Gone again. Yes, <laughs> <laughs>
Niawuzwa from my side. Okay. Yeah, I really I really don't know where the glitch is because I I can see here everyone when Okay, speak. I will I will indicate to you, but you just continue. Maybe we'll, we'll try to, to manage it. Okay. The, the, the fight against corruption was intensified systematically during the year under review, with several short and long-term initiatives being implemented. President Ramaphosa appointed two deputy national directors of public prosecutions. We are pleased that the NPA is beginning to fill key vacancies at leadership level, and we look forward to filling more vacancies across the board. These appointments are essential for the efficient functioning and rebuilding of the NPA as part of efforts to fight against crime and corruption. In the last financial year, the NPA secured an increase of 17.8% in the number of persons convicted of either public and private sector corruption. During this period, 94% conviction rate was obtained through the finalization of 122 cases with the vatican convictions of 116 persons. Work on other high-profile cases involving complex commercial crimes is continued by the NPA and the and the Hawks and the South African police. We have also mobilized resources to enable the NPA to ensure long-term success and to attract a caliber of graduates who will bring new energy to the institution. The NPA has introduced the Aspirant Prosecutors Program that was closed five years ago due to lack of resources. Under this program, young graduates gain practical prosecutorial experience, which prepares them for the future roles. In the last financial year, the asset forfeiture unit obtained 326 freezing orders to the value of 1.9 billion rands. This shows that work is being done. In this financial year, we will explore a new regulatory regime for the asset forfeiture unit to empower them to seize assets which have been acquired through unexplained work. The Special Investigation Unit Tribunal has been formally established to date. It has dealt with 24 cases. The Special Investigation Unit has, in the last financial year, completed 17 investigations. In the same period, 30 proclamations were issued, and these include proclamation on ESCOM, denial, SAA, among others. Closer to home in the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development, we have had a proclamation on the masters and state attorney's offices. We look forward to implementing the outcomes of these investigations. Similarly, the Special Investigating Unit will increase the recovery orders in the Special Tribunal. Through the Special Investigating Unit, we will also enhance this. Perspective on corruption. The President will soon announce an SIU proclamation on COVID-19 related corruption. The president will soon announce an SIU proclamation on COVID-19 related corruption. These alleged corrupt activities must be frowned upon by all of us. As we celebrate the Nelson Mandela International Month, we will look to his trials and tribulations for inspiration. It is common cause that there are barriers and impediments in the that leads to exclusion of black people, particularly women, and we will address this.
Tata Mandela himself, as a practicing attorney, faced several hardships in his career, including applications to be struck of the role of attorneys. One of the reasons advocated for this action was that his convictions in the 50s for being a volunteer in chief in the defense campaign made him guilty of an offense involving moral tempitude. In Mandela's 1993 speech to the Law Society of the Grand Transfer, he said the following, and I quote, I decided to ask the commanding officer of Robben Island to arrange for me to appear personal to oppose the second application to strike me off the road. Brought soon the trial of 1954. The thought of my being brought to the Praetorium and being seen in an open court must have convinced those who initiated the application to withdraw it. Here I am with my name still on the roll. Concluded. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Unfortunately, uh, that your time has expired now. Uh, okay. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Uh, the next speaker will be the Honorable G. Magwanisha. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson, Ministers and Deputy Ministers. Honorable members, a good afternoon. Chairperson, let me start by extending on behalf of the committee our heartfelt condolences to the Mlangeni family on their loss. Siti Agalalanga Ukukanga Matol. As a soldier, he will continue to protect us all. We would also like to extend our condolences to the families of all members of the Justice Family who lost their loved ones during this period. We will forever be indebted to you for their contributions to our nation. To all South Africans who lost their loved ones, our hearts and prayers are with you during this difficult time. To all those battling with the virus now, we say never give up, we shall overcome. As we celebrate Madiba's life during this month, we are doing so not in conditions of our own choosing, but in conditions imposed on us by nature. Notwithstanding the challenges of the moment, President Mandela would have loved us not to lose sight on the task of building a capable criminal justice system. A criminal justice system capable of investigating and prosecuting the most powerful and the less powerful in our society. It is worth noting that as we are battling with resources to meet the needs of our people, according to data released by Global Financial Integrity, between 2002 and 2011, South Africa lost a cumulative 107 billion rands to illicit financial outflows. According to the same report, South Africa is ranked number 13 in terms of illicit financial outflows in the world amongst developing countries. <coughs> this trend will continue as long as the state is not developing the necessary technical and strategic capability. Those who have no intention of serving the people will continue to have such capability. The committee wishes to emphasize that our democracy requires a stable, well-functioning justice system if it wishes to prosper. 
Therefore, the committee is extremely concerned about the growing case backlogs. Soon, more resources will be needed to address the backlogs and other challenges to prevent risking a breakdown of our judicial system. The committee welcomes the fact that neither the public protection of South Africa and the South African Human Rights Commission will be affected by budget cuts. Parliament is required to approve certain environments. In this regard, the committee notes an amount of 193,400,000 rands is reallocated from court services to administration for COVID-19 purposes and to fund the Commission of Inquiry into allegations of state capture known as the Zondo Commission. Resources allocated to the Zondo Commission are not from a bottomless kitchen. They have to be used efficiently. These are prioritized savings as a result of suspending the commencement and finalization of capital works projects. The downward revision of funding for capital works projects, however, adds to the committee's concerns about the slow pace of the department's building projects. The committee welcomes the department's intention to continue with the recruitment, especially at senior management level, as part of efforts to improve governance and performance. On this, as the committee will hold the department accountable on a quarterly basis. The pandemic has truly highlighted the agent need to modernize court processes. The committee has noted the department's intention to accelerate ICT projects aimed at fast-tracking court modernization and digitization. These include the rollout of the audiovisual remantling system to additional courts and correctional centers. The committee is pleased that the budget cuts do not affect the rollout of further dedicated sexual offenses courts and tutuzela care centers. The committee is aware that questions are being raised about the allocation of resources to combat gender-based violence. The committee believes that when budgeting, departments need to identify the funds allocated for spending on vulnerable groups, particularly funds allocated to combating gender-based violence. The committee believes that this will promote greater accountability in the budget process from a gender perspective. The committee notes that the NPA has been allocated more funding over the MTF for the recruitment of additional prosecutorial capacity, as well as for the aspirant prosecutors program. The committee will continue to monitor the pace of appointment, including the aspirant prosecutors program going forward. The committee notes the NDPP's comment about the work of the asset for future unit having been undermined by a lack of capacity and resources. The committee has resolved to pay closer attention in future to the work of the asset for future unit and special commercial crimes unit, as well as the special investigative unit. Notably, the funds allocated to these units and others forming part of the anti-corruption task team uniquely see the return to treasury of money stolen from the state. The committee comments that the National Assembly approves the proposed adjustments provided for in vote 25, justice and constitutional development. Thank you very much, Chairperson.
Thank you, Honorable Member. <coughs> uh, the next speaker is the Honorable G. Breitenbach from the TA. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairperson. Uh, Chairperson, Honorable Members, uh, at the inception of this, the sixth parliament, with the advent of a new president and a new cabinet, we were cautiously enthusiastic in our support for the new minister. We hoped that new brooms would sweep clean, that the new administration would shake off the abysmal performance of the past 10 years and embrace the opportunity to be innovative and make a concerted effort to overturn the catastrophic results of state capture. We hoped that the minister would work hard to ensure improved service delivery in the many departments for which he is responsible and begin to address the serious issues preventing the functioning of the system, including the criminal justice system. The minister was young, embraced technology and inspired all of us to hope that sweeping change was on its way, that he would walk his talk of the commitment to the constitution and the rule of law, of a drive to improve the criminal justice system, of serious action to be taken against those responsible for state capture and the many other grand corruption schemes. To quote the minister in his maiden speech, he said, it is with a sense of immense honor that we are here today to present the budget. Part of the mandate of this budget amongst others is to fight corruption and ensure that justice is not only done, but also seen to be done. Little has come of this commitment to the rule of law. While we all agree that the rule of law is an essential cornerstone of any constitutional democracy, that no one with a modicum of common sense would invest in a country that did not have an unshakable commitment to upholding the rule of law. We have not seen these words put into action. To uphold the rule of law, we must have independent prosecuting authority, properly resourced in every fashion to enable effective and efficient prosecutions to enforce accountability for breaking the law. This, honorable members, we do not have. Despite the appointment of Advocate Petoy, whose appointment we applauded and still do, we have seen slow or no progress, largely due to a woefully inadequate budget, a lack of resources, human and otherwise. The NPA remains bogged down in the mess left after state capture, and will never be able to function at the level required while it remains under-resourced. Advocate Betoya has told the Justice Portfolio Committee that the NPA simply does not have the prosecutors to prosecute these cases. The investigative directorate was established and more than 18 months later we have not seen one prosecution. We have seen a couple of arrests, which is encouraging, but not any big fish. By their own admission, the investigative directorate have gone back to the drawing board and don't expect to have any prosecutions in court within the next three years. Bearing in mind that it has a lifespan of only five years, that will mean that they will have done no prosecutions at all. All their work will simply be reabsorbed into the SEC units of the NPA and have to be done by other prosecutors. It would have been better then to leave them to it in the first place. The minister told us, and I quote, we will make a significant investment in the modernization of the criminal justice value chain. The justice crime prevention and security cluster is implementing the integrated justice system which is a cutting-edge, multi-departmental modernization program aimed at enhancing the efficiency and effectiveness of our criminal justice system. Well, this sounds impressive. It's real 21st century stuff. But in reality, this project has, been on, project has been ongoing for the past 20 years and shows no progress whatsoever. Vast amounts of money have been poured into this bottomless pit with no discernible returns. The reality is that hundreds of complainants, like Alison Oates, the victim of a 2015 form attack, <coughs> was beaten, burned, and gang-raped has still not had her day in court. Five years later, no progress. Despite repeated requests over the past four weeks, the NPA can provide no details explaining the delay. It's shameful. The minister assured us of his commitment to the constitution and the rule of law. He took the Honorable Malema to task, saying, you cannot be in charge in a democracy. The people are in charge. 
Just a few weeks later, while announcing more draconian lockdown regulations, Minister Lamola proudly proclaimed that the government does not have to consult the public extensively on the regulations governing South Africa's lockdowns, despite the implications they might have on the citizenry, and proclaimed himself to be the custodian of the Bill of Rights. Given the opportunity to step up and provide leadership in the questionable National COVID Command Council, the minister has failed dismally to do so, bleating like a lamb after the autocrats around him. He has not uttered one word about the excesses of the securocrats around him, and is clearly happy to turn citizens into criminals by endorsing draconian lockdown regulations with no regard for reality or the resultant misery. No one could prepare for the COVID pandemic. No budget could foresee and accommodate it. This we understand. But when provided with the unique opportunity to step up, show leadership, and redesign the department and the criminal justice system to launch it into the 21st century and a digital age, all that was forthcoming was this budget, which has all the innovative qualities of an amoeba, and the abuse of the pandemic as an excuse for an inability to address the real issues. The Democratic Alliance does not support this budget. I thank you. Um, thank you, Honourable Member. <clears throat> Honorable M. Kyundozi is the next speaker from the EFF. EFF. Revolutionary condolences to the Mlangini family, the NC, and all South Africans on the passing of Isitwala Andresia Parangwe Baba and Jumlangini. May his soul rest in perfect peace. The general principle underlying today's adjustment budget is neoliberal austerity. The belief in reducing budget government deficit by cutting on its spending as a way to revive, create confidence for investments and borrowing more. In essence, it is aimed at impressing and attracting creditors with interest payments, then, uh, then dominate your developmental agenda. We are fundamentally opposed to this fiscal strategy because over 25 years of macroeconomic planning, it has never succeeded to create sustainable jobs, growth, and resolve inequalities. As a result, we are here entertaining budget cuts affecting the general access to equitable justice during a time when our society needs justice the most. High levels of murder, gender-based violence, child abuse and corruption. Above all, <clears throat> uh, we need accelerated judicial resolution of injunctions related to COVID-19 regulations. Failure to increase the speed and resources in resolving this will lead to a general deadlock in both our courts and prisons. Stronger justice is an essential part of an efficient state to preside over abnormal regulatory conditions caused by the catastrophic pandemic. Present before us today, there are no creative new programs whatsoever to deal with this. Government hopes to use the already overwhelmed justice machinery to respond to abnormal conditions, whereas with more budget cuts. During his address on the 21st of April, the president promised South Africans that 1.9 billion will be prioritized to deal with gender-based violence. He specifically singled out the Justice Department in relation to the input and our courts. Yet, in his entire speech, the Minister of Finance said nothing about GDP or the 1.9 billion. Instead, the budgets of all entities within this department have been subjected to cuts. None of them could show us any increase from the promised 1.9 billion uh, by, by the president. Therefore, people have been misled. Whereas the Department of Correctional Services could not intelligently, programmatically indicate uh, its response to rising levels of GBV, what, uh, what new, more efficient programs are in place to correct convicts in relation to GBV. We remain 
We remain our country where we remain a country where big names of politicians, white business people, and top executives in state-owned companies loot freely without fear of having worry about prosecutions. The law, it seems, is made uh, only for the men and women on the streets. Whether it is those who, are, who murdered people in Marikana or implicated thereof, or those responsible for the death of the life of Dimeni, or those responsible for the looting at ESCOM, and now those are responsible for looting COVID-19 funds. Shamila Batwe was appointed head of NPA in 2018, and since then the NPA has not successfully prosecuted a single high-profile politician. She has not prosecuted a single prominent white business person. Today, the NPA asked for further postponement in the Tsekhofadzobulo case for lack of evidence. Last time, the case was postponed, as they did not, and they did not even inform their clients the affected family. Utter incompetence. We are told the accused has confessed. We wonder, what more do you want? What more is delaying the speedy resolution of this case, unless the confession in the, in the case of Tsekhofadzobulo was attained under wrong conditions? Even if you seek more arrests, there is no reason to put this single man, there's no reason why you shouldn't put this single man away with speed. Of course, the DNA centers remain the significant feature and cause of delay of justice when it comes to GBV, and the system is doing very little about it. The COVID-19 pandemic has also become some manna from heaven for crooked politicians. It is doubtful that the NPA will have any teeth when it comes to this, because they are in action with high-profile politicians, make those who lose state resources not to fear. How long must we hear about lack of capacity and skills in the NPA? In our view, this has become a narrative or a cop-out narrative to avoid prosecuting those who enable their appointment. Above all, what is the NPA waiting for to prosecute those implicated in the state capture? The excuse for waiting for the conclusion of the Zondo Commission must be rejected as lazy or sabotage of justice. We, we must ask Shamila, why have you not challenged the stealing of documents for those who funded president's campaign? Do you not care about the corruption and state capture as, these, as there have been cases opened to this effect? On the other hand, correctional facilities presided over by these departments are dangerously overcrowded. To this day, a significant number of inmates uh, are remand detainees, most of whom have been incarcerated for years because the system is so dysfunctional, it keeps people in jail for years before their trials can be concluded. We therefore reject this budget. We will wait all information on each entity on where are they procuring their PPEs. We will wait for how much are they spending on these PPEs and for what quality. We call on all South Africans in the criminal justice system to contact us when COVID-19 regulations are not met in any of these entities. Above all, when they get any sanitizers with less than 70% of alcohol content in it or with no SADS stem. Please report these injunctions to us so that we are able to speedily exercise oversight on the department and its entities. We reject this budget as we've indicated because it is based on a misled and misdiagnosed economic or macroeconomic principle of um, budget cuts. But above all, it is, uh, 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 it is curtailing the general access to justice for most South Africans, particularly the vulnerable, but it will make sure in the end that the efforts to hold those who are corrupt, particularly politically accountable, connected, and who occupy high state positions are not brought to the book. I thank you. Thank oh, you. Yeah, yeah. Hello. 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 Hello.
Any noise. Honorable Mr. Ma'am. Honorable Mr. Ma'am, we're the next person. Ah. The next online, sir. Honorable Mr. Ma'am, we better unmute. You are muted. Oh, 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 can someone help the Honorable Msimanga to unmute? Masengwa? Can you do something? Chairperson, this is the Honorable Fanamarba from the IFP. Um, we will quickly yeah. get in contact with the Prof and ask him to unmute. Yeah, yes, please just try helping him. Yes, we'll come back. You can proceed to the next speaker and then we'll come back. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, our bottom uh, he's, he's, he's unmuted now, Chairperson. Sorry, I see he's okay. unmuted. Okay. Uh, Honorable Prof. Simon, Hello. can you go ahead, sir? Thank you very much. Honorable Chair, Honorable Ministers and Deputy Ministers, Honorable Members, the IFP believes the Department of Justice is an essential service whose functions have long been crippled by the lack of resources. The impact of COVID-19 on the service rendered by the Department of Justice at the Department of Correctional Services, the National Prosecuting Authority, and the Office of the Chief Justice are Palpable. The further reduction of finances allocated to these entities serves only to compound service delivery issues and weaken efforts against corruption. Our prisons are perennially overcrowded, increasing the risk of the spread of the virus to inmates and officials. Regarding this, the IFP wishes to recognize the Department of Correctional Services efforts in relocating funds for PPE, as well as in reducing capacity of facilities by placing low-risk inmates on parole. This has eased overcrowding by 21%, and while we have far to go, serves to counter the spread of COVID-19. The NPA has been understaffed for years, and the absence of the commitment to rectify this only lends to poor capacity. It is not prosecuting at the expected level, particularly corruption-related offenses. Up to 700 prosecuting positions must be filled to effectively prosecute crime which has remained rampant throughout the lockdown period. The budget adjustment has frozen essential hiring processes and taken crucial funds from the NPA and the Special Investigative Unit. The internal reprioritization of funds, while commendable, will be unable to effectively address these problems. The IFP has long been calling 
for the establishment of an independent, well-resourced anti-corruption integrity commission under the auspices of chapter nine to investigate and prosecute high-level corruption in the public service. This institution will strengthen our constitutional democracy and is even more vital with the, uh, now with the release of large amounts of money for essential procurements. The IFP acknowledges the Department of Justice and Correctional Services and the development of a criminal case backlog to alleviate the case backing a backlog in the courts. Another problem that has plagued our justice system for decades, overburdening courts and affecting rights of citizens. The IFP remains concerned by the limitations that the pandemic has placed on the services offered by the courts as only certain criminal and civil cases may be heard for now, the IFP supports the budget. I thank you, House Chair. Thank you, Honorable Member. The next speaker is from the F, F plus, the Honorable FJ Mulder. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Achbare Voorzitter, the COVID-19 pandemie and the gepaard gaande inperkingsregulaties ingestel dier die Suid-Afrikaanse regering het onafwendbare invloed op die mandaat van die Departement vir Justitie en Correctieve Dienste om aan sy mandaat te voldoen. Alhoewel die hoewe ook was recht in Suid-Afrikaanse was aanvankelijk slechts noodzakelijke hofdienste beskikbaar en medelijk dienstkategorie gesluit en ontoegankelijk. Die geleidelijke heractivering van hierdie dienstkategorie benadeel Suid-Afrikaanse toegang tot rechtsprocesse en het reese achterstande op hofrolle tot gevolg. Die VFplus verwelkom een risiko aangepaste plan dat onderbrekers en hofprocesse opgelost kan word in korter tydperke as ook die herperioritisering van hofrolle en die moeilijkheid van verlengde hofuren. Voorzitter, die aangepaste verminderde begroting van die departement van 21,9 miljard rand is 22,4 miljard rand minder as die oorspronkelijke 29 miljard aan die departement toegeken en gaan ongetwijfel die vermoe van die departement om sy grondwettelijke mandaat te vervul nog verder verlemmer. Die groot verliese en werksgeleentheid in die Suid-Afrikaanse ekonomie, hoofdzakelijk van weer die regeringse irrationele inperkingsregulaties, gaan toenemend druk op die Suid-Afrikaanse ekonomie, maatskapelike en gezondheidswelsijn plaas. Wetstoepassingsagentskappe en hoewe gaan toenemend onder druk verkeer terwijl misdaadvlakke stuig. Daarom verwelkom die VF plus die herperioritisering van die beskikbare begroting om die nationale vervolgingsgezag te versterk. Die selectieve vrylating van bepaalde kategorie veroordeelde misdaaders is daardig gesplaas doodgewoon misdaad weer terug op straat en veroorzaak een boze kringloop. Voorzitter, die VF plus herinner die minister daaraan dat die, minister, dat die departement van ster is in die grondwet van Zuid-Afrika en die opergezag van die rechte handhaaf en beskerm, vooral ook wat die onderzoeken en vervolging van staatskaping en corruptie betreft. Verder moet die departement toegang verseker tot de toegankelijke, rechtvaardige en kosteffectieve administratie van gerechtigheid 
en die belang van een veiliger en volhoubare Zuid-Afrika. Die wijze waarop die regering die COVID-19 pandemie tot nou bestuur het, verswakt die kans op gezonde rechtspleging. Die VFPs ondersteun daarom nie die aanpassingsbegroting. Dankie voorzitter. Thank you, honorable member. Uh, the next speaker on the platform is the Deputy Minister, the Honorable Deputy Minister of Justice and Correctional Services, responsible for justice and constitutional development. Thereafter, I will call the Honorable Maslaule to take over. Uh, thanks, House Chairperson, Honorable Members, Honorable Minister Lamola, Deputy Minister Holomisa, everyone watching on the various platforms. As we celebrate Mandela Month in these trying times, we are reminded of his words, that courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The COVID-19 pandemic is upon us and is having a serious impact on access to justice. COVID-19 has claimed a judge, Judge Patrick Judgey of the Eastern Cape High Court, four permanent magistrates, two acting magistrates, it has also claimed the lives of seven justice officials, two practitioners from Legal Aid South Africa, and seven members of the National Prosecuting Authority. And I want to dedicate my budget speech, vote speech to them. Honorable members, we have to deliver justice in a South Africa where COVID-19 has become a reality. Every day we have a number of magistrates and court staff who are not at work due to COVID infections or them being in isolation. Every day, a number of court buildings or other facilities have to be closed to allow for full or partial decontamination. Today, the figure for closures is in the region of 30 facilities, courts and facilities. Whenever a court is closed, arrangements are made to ensure that essential justices services can still be rendered. Remands being done in parking areas or under carports are becoming a new type of normal. Even during the strictest period of the lockdown, our courts remained open for essential services such as hearing bail applications and domestic violence and protection from harassment orders. Our main focus at this point in time is the optimal functioning of our courts and the justice system, as well as the protection of human rights and vulnerable groups in the time of COVID-19. We're working closely with key stakeholders in our magistrates' courts the regional court presidents, the chief magistrates, the National Prosecuting Authority, Legal Aid South Africa, and the Department of Correctional Services and the South African Police Service to ensure that we finalize the maximum number of cases that we are able to during this period. Our courts have to continue to function. They are essential services. They need to hear criminal matters in particular so that remand detainees who are found not guilty can be released from custody. They need to deal with civil disputes, to issue protection orders, and to deal with urgent family law matters. Chairperson, the silver lining of the COVID cloud is that we've been forced to move faster into the electronic communications age. There is already a provision in the Criminal Procedure Act which allows witnesses to give evidence by ways of electronic means. Apart from the witness testifying rooms in sexual offences courts, however, this provision seems to be rarely used. This must change. One can just imagine how much time and expense will be saved if expert witnesses such as doctors and other professionals could give evidence remotely from their office. And in terms of the law, they can if the court will allow it. Because of a reduced number of staff and officials due to COVID-19 operations, 
there's a bigger need to improve the ability of courts to work remotely by providing the necessary IT devices, equipment and data. This includes the need to ensure that courts and judicial officers have the necessary tools of trade and equipment to enable remote testimony through audiovisual links or remote court appearances. Currently, if courts are closed, postponements have to be done without charge sheets and court books. Yet judicial officers should be enabled to deal with postponements electronically through a court role app with access to electronic charge sheets. In addition, whilst the minister's directions do provide for the use of electronic communications, looking in the longer term, legislation is required to allow courts to optimally operate in the virtual space and also to provide for e-justice systems to be fast-tracked. These are just some of the practical challenges that we're grappling with on a daily basis in our courts. And the adjusted budget that we're presenting today is crucial to our court operations. In this revised budget, an allocation of 334 million has been earmarked through savings for COVID-19 related expenditure, such as PPE procurement and the decontamination of offices and justice service points. There are many stakeholders in the justice chain Parties to litigation cannot have their matters proceeded with if sheriffs are unable to serve court processes. And the sheriff's profession, like so many other professions, have not been spared the devastating impact of COVID-19, both in terms of income and service delivery. And just to remind honorable members, sheriffs are not paid a salary, they make their income from the work that they do. We would like to convey our sincere appreciation to the South African Board for Sheriffs for making some of their reserve funds available to provide a form of once-off assistance to deputy sheriffs and to provide relief to some sheriffs who fall a lower revenue stream in terms of their income. The minister's directions for the holding of sheriff's auctions will be gazetted soon. The advertisement of vacant offices of sheriffs countrywide was unfortunately delayed as the pandemic will also impact on the shortlisting and interview process of applicants by the nine advisory committees. It is essential that we find creative ways within the regulatory framework to move forward to fill these vacancies. And I will be meeting soon with the South African Board for Sheriffs, the voluntary organizations representing the profession, and the magistrates who chair the advisory committees to seek consensus on a uniform approach in this regard. Chairperson, COVID-19 has an impact on people's human rights, whether it's freedom of movement, the right to a speedy trial or socioeconomic rights. This brings with it an increased need to access justice and to protect human rights and the rights of vulnerable groups. I want to commend the South African Human Rights Commission for its work. Fortunately, in this adjustments appropriation budget, as I think the chair has already said, and the minister, both the South African Human Rights Commission and the public protector have not had their budgets cut. The Human Rights Commission has done important work in monitoring human rights abuses in this period of the COVID-19 pandemic. In particular, I want to mention, uh, make mention of the work being done by the Commission in respect of South Africa's National Preventative Mechanism, which was established in terms of the optional protocol to the Convention Against Torture, and monitors all places where persons are deprived of their liberty, such as correctional centres, child and youth care centres, secure care facilities, mental health institutions, immigration detention centers, police and military detention facilities. Earlier this week, the preventative mechanism celebrated its first year of existence. With regards we're doing to combat and prevent human trafficking, our hard work has started to bear fruit as South Africa has recently been upgraded to tier two 
on the United States State Department's Trafficking in Persons report. This report, whilst being compiled by one country and not by a multilateral forum, is currently the world's most comprehensive resource of government anti-trafficking efforts. Being upgraded to Tier 2 is a positive milestone and it shows what can be achieved when government successfully partners with civil society stakeholders. Our courts are also imposing significant sentences in trafficking cases, with one accused being convicted and sentenced to six life sentences and an additional 129 years imprisonment, whilst in another matter the two accused were sentenced to 19 terms of life imprisonment. We also work closely with civil society when it comes to the protection of the rights of LGBTI persons. Members will be, should be familiar with the work of our national task team on LGBTI rights, which was hailed as an international best practice model by the United Nations. The task team was originally established to deal with violence against LGBTI people, but as the National Council to Combat Gender-Based Violence and Femicide will be dealing with all forms of GBV, including that against LGBTI people, it will, uh, we will therefore need to be engaging with our civil society partners to discuss the possibility of widening the mandate of the national task team to address problems with LGBTI people realizing their rights more broadly. Another fundamental human right is the right to privacy and the Protection of Personal Information Act gives effect to this right. This act has been put into operation incrementally with a number of sections of the act having been implemented in April, 2014. Many of the remaining provisions of the Act could only be put into operation at a later stage as they required a state of operational readiness for the information regulator to assume its role. The remaining sections of the Act, with the exception of two sections, which apply to the Promotion, promotion of Access to Information Act, came into operation earlier this month. These sections pertain to, amongst others, the conditions for the lawful processing of personal information, the prohibition of processing of special personal information, procedures for dealing with complaints, provisions regula uh, regulating direct marketing by means of unsolicited electronic communication, as well as general enforcement. The two remaining sections will come into effect on the 30th of June next year. Chairperson, COVID-19 is not the only challenge we face. Budget cuts and financial constraints are another reality that we face daily. It has made existing challenges more pronounced and more immediate. But these challenges are not insurmountable. And as we celebrate Mandela Month, we are yet again reminded of his words when he said that, and I quote, those who are ready to join hands can overcome the greatest challenges. I thank you. Thank you, uh, Honorable Deputy Minister. Honorable members, we'll now move to the next. Deputy Minister. Which is uh, Honorable Swart. Honorable Swart. Thank you, House Chair. House Chair, the ACDP would also like to extend its condolences to the families and friends of all those in the Justice family who have passed away uh, during this COVID 19 period. And we also note the proposed budget adjustments are far less severe than expected. However, it is still significant. 460 million is the budget cut, and this will result in an impact on our courts, which during this COVID-19 period are only able to hear criminal and civil matters on a restricted basis. Obviously, additional resources will be necessary to address the fast increase in backlogs in order to uh, prevent a collapse in the legal system. And the ACDP shares the committee's view 
that we do not support any further budget cuts in the future, as this will be counterproductive. Chair, the, the committee has in the past expressed ourselves and our concerns about the additional resources needed by the NPA to face its capacity challenges, and these the ACDP supports. We also support its corruption busting role, and we note the NDPP's comments recently about the asset forfeiture unit that has been undermined by a lack of capacity and resources. This must be given urgent attention, given the key role that the asset forfeiture unit, together with the SIU, plays in freezing assets and recovering stolen state funds. And on a positive note, we commend the speedy action that was taken to arrest suspects and freeze 28 bank accounts following the theft of 5.7 million rand of UIF funds meant for 1,400 workers recently. This illustrates that quick steps can be taken. And the Minister of Finance in the mini plenary earlier today expressed his concerns about slippages that are occurring with COVID-19 funds. And this is disgraceful given that these funds are very necessary, but there are institutions in place and we'd encourage those institutions to take speedy action. Minister, you referred um, to the amount of 107 billion uh, that has left the country through illicit capital outflows. I think this was the chairman of the committee. What role, we ask from the ACDP side, does the Financial Intelligence Center play and the Reserve Bank play in preventing those outflows? We must insist on action in this regard. And it is also particularly disheartening that state attorneys and private advocates have been embroiled in corrupt activities. These are officers of the court, and it is in our view disgraceful that they are involved in corruption, and we insist on speedy action taken in this regard. Lastly, Chairperson, we from the ACDP side are concerned about the availability of PPEs for judges and court officials that might have comorbidities, as this is essential for them, and they indicated that the funds are not readily available. This is something we need to address. Honourable Member, you your time is up. The next speaker will be Honourable Maseko Jele. Honourable Chairperson of the House, members of the National Assembly, Fellow South Africans, good afternoon. On behalf of the African National Congress, I, I, I rise in support for budget vote 25 as tabled by Minister Ronald Lamula here today. This debate is taking place while the nation mourns the passing of our veteran Tata Ndrumlangeni. May his soul rest in peace. It is the month where we celebrate the birth of Tata Nelson Mandela. More importantly so, we also celebrate the birth of Mam Adelaide Tambo, who shares a birthday with Tata Nelson Mandela, whom I believe her contributions have been shadowed by patriarchy system. Mam Adelaide is one of the generation that has been forgotten simply because she was a woman, just like many other women who contributed in the struggle. This is the generation that gave birth to August 1956 in retaliation to apartheid system which has badly ravaged our social structures. Honorable, honorable members, patriarchy is one of the major, major contributors to gender-based violence. And therefore, a social compact is needed to fight patriarchy, gender-based violence, and femicide. 
the triple challenge of poverty, unemployment, and inequality must be uprooted if we, we are serious about change, changing the status quo. A collaborative effort is therefore needed by all sectors of society, governments, business, NGO, faith-based organizations, traditional leaders, civil society, mem uh, family members, and the neighbors has a role to play in fighting this pandemic in our communities. Addressing the nation in June this year, President Cyril Ramaphosa said, I quote, gender-based violence in South Africa should be considered as a second pandemic in the country, as, a serious, as, the, as serious as coronavirus, although very different in their nature and cause. The president said that they can both be overcome if we work together, if we each take a personal responsibility for our actions, and if we take care of each other. We stand with our president in, in his call for a joint effort in fighting this gauge. We must ensure that there are legal frameworks and institutions capable to deal with it. We must ensure that violence is recognized and condemned and that those who, who perpetrate it do not go unpunished. The statistics of crimes and gender-based violence are frightening. The levels of violence in our society are just intolerable. People do not feel safe. Women and other vulnerable groups do not feel safe. The status quo cannot continue. The Department of Justice has progressively rolled out sexual offenses courts because of the intrusive nature of sexual violence. Violation. Many survivors of sexual abuse choose not to report this crime, mainly because of shame or fear of not being believed. The sexual offenses courts are therefore established to give them an experience defined by solace, care, compassion, and justice, so as to encourage reporting and healing. SOCs are intended to reduce the turnaround time in the finalization of these cases, eliminate secondary victimization, and improve prosecution and adjudication of these cases. The National Prosecuting Authority in collaboration with the Department of Health, established Tuzela case care, care centers throughout the country. Primarily uh, deal with survivors of sexual violence. The Tuzela care centers are a best practice model. The NPA has reported that the life sentences imposed at the sexual offenses court on cases received from Tuzela care centers have increased. We appreciate all the work that the department and NPA do not com, uh, do to combat gender-based violence. In this regard, we are pleased that uh, the rollout of further dedicated sexual offenses courts and Tituzela care centers are not affected by budget cuts. We are waiting the department to introduce three amendment bills aimed at curbing gender-based violence as it was reported by the minister earlier. Honorable members, yesterday we have learned about a progressive initiative between the Department of Justice and Department of Youth, Women, Youth and Persons with Disability, presented by Minister Maite Mangwani Mashabani in the, in the presence, uh, presidency, informing the plenary that they have an agreement uh, that for one to qualify for a parole in future, they propose that he or she must agree to the following. For example, the DNA test, 
agree that one has never been involved in rape, women and child abuse, GBV and femicide. And also the withdrawal of GBV cases by the women, by women will be the thing of the past. This initiative must be welcomed and supported. While we have uh, put measures in place to respond to this second pandemic, pre prevention is always better than cure. There is no simple answer to the challenge we are facing. All hands must be on deck as we fight this scourge. If we are to see the vision of the nation, uh, National Development Plan to realize by 2030, all people must be and feel safe. In closing, I end off with the words of our president, President Cyril Ramaphosa. Uh, I quote, the men of South Africa, we must be in the forefront. We must take up the charge. We must be the ones who take up the struggle. We cannot let the women of our country take up this struggle on their own. It must be our struggle. It must be the struggle. Uh, it must be my struggle. It must be my son's struggle. It must be every father's struggle and their sons. The ANC supports the budget. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, thank you, uh, Honorable Member. The next speaker is supposed to be Honorable Sheikh Imam. However, I see that he's uh, in the Defense uh, uh, Committee. We'll then move on to Honorable Horn of the DA. Thank you, Chair. Chair, the rule of law is about much more than the basic requirement that every person and every state institution is subject to the law. It's also about accountability under the law, which not only demands the willingness to explain decisions, but also to take responsibility for decisions. Now, Chair, I'm not going to waste my time today by dealing extensively with the self-contradictory disaster management regulations issued by this government. Rules like the ones making us criminals if we meet with one or two family members in the privacy of our homes, but not if we meet up with them at a restaurant or travel with them in a packed minibus taxi. But let me say this. If you, Minister, were serious when you right at the start of the lockdown assured South Africans that you as the guardian of our Bill of Rights, which in, would ensure that our rights were not going to be unduly limited during the pandemic, you owe us an explanation on how the government you are part of can justify criminalizing South Africans on the basis of these regulations, which treat citizens like subjects, mushrooms which should be kept in the dark for their own good. And Minister, allow me to add that when the courts defer to the executive in a time like this, as it seems to be doing, it does not mean that the executive can boast about being right. It really only means that the responsibility becomes so much bigger to make double sure that those policy choices which our courts are not prepared to review are reasonable and morally justifiable. Chair, while the minister says the fight against corruption has been intensified over the last year, the question must be asked, what has the minister done to deal with the poisonous rot that has engulfed the administration of the Department of Justice and most of the state attorneys and master's officers, apart from having the SIU investigate this corruption? More specifically, are those implicated still employed by the department? If so, are they at least suspended and facing disciplinary hearings? Or have they been redeployed in the best tradition of the ANC? 
like your government did minister with a former dg of this department who were re rewarded with an ambassadorship rather than being held accountable for allowing the department of justice to seriously de deteriorate under his watch chair what has the minister done to hold to account those who allowed the sex offenders register to fall to fall into administrative chaos up to the point where it will need a full audit and not the recalibration the minister and the president has keep kept on talking about before we can ever be sure that this is this register will be accurate and credible as the minister responsible for the administration of justice what has the minister done to ensure that the millions of rands promised to his department to properly enable the campaign against gender-based violence are forthcoming and lastly and most importantly while the minister says the aim of this budget is to seek to make the criminal justice system effective the question must be asked what has the minister done to ensure the development of a workable and credible plan to deal with the ever ballooning size of the criminal case backlog role this issue alone chair could lead to the evaporation of any public confidence there still is in the criminal justice system which is the very last thing this country could afford if unemployment are going to rise to historic levels in the months to come Unfortunately, the only feedback we as the Portfolio Committee get from the, the top officials of the department is that talks about talks in this regard are, are continuing at pace. Of course, we know they mean at a snail's pace. Minister, even if you, like the true politician you've become over the last year, chooses to disregard all of our inputs today because it comes from the opposition, please take on board at least this issue. For a lack of trust in our criminal justice system amidst high unemployment and the resultant snowballing of socio-economic problems could be disastrous for law and order and ignite the type of lawlessness which could bring this country to its knees. Minister, the state of our criminal justice system should be what keeps you awake at night. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honourable Member. The next speaker will be Honorable Ngola. Thank you very much, Chair. Uh, please allow me to keep my camera on mute because of uh, signal and audibility purposes. Honorable Chairperson, members of uh, the House, as we debate uh, Budget Vote 25, Justice and Constitutional Development, I take a moment to reflect on the life of someone who is no stranger twin justices and brutality of the so-called justice system of the apartheid government. I join, I join fellow South Africans in mourning the loss of and pay tribute to a revolutionary leader of our struggle. The last surviving revolutionary trialist is Twalangwe Utadao Andrew Mlangen, who passed away yesterday at the age of 95. Mr. Twalangwe served 26 years in Robben Island as a prisoner. He was detained alongside other political prisoners, inclusive of which Dada Nelson Mandela, Walter Sisulu, Elias Motwaneti, Dennis Goldberg, Raymond Mishaba, and Ahmed Katrada. Standing before Judge Devet, the former Umkondowesizwe commander said, and I quote, I know that you, my Lord, have to administer the law. But when you do so, I ask you to remember what we, the Africans and non-white people, have had to suffer. That is all I have to say, except to add that what I did 
was not for myself, but for the people. And unquote. The death of Isitola and Mlangen marks the end of a revolutionary life that was dedicated to the struggle for the justice and the defense of our own freedom. May his soul rest in eternal peace. Honorable Chair, the novel coronavirus has not only disrupted the lives of our people, it has disrupted the economy in a negative way and continues to affect the delivery of justice and services. The South African government, as led by President Cyril Ramaphosa, has been faced with a difficulty yet delicate task of balancing between growing the economy and preserving the lives of people. Like many countries across the world, South Africa implemented a national lockdown to minimize movement and curb the spread of, of the virus. Every life is important. While the courts has, have remained open throughout the lockdown period, the categories of permitted services were, are restricted. At the start of the lockdown period, only services relating to the essential functioning of the courts were permitted, and as a result, most matters were postponed. From the, four, the 4th of May 2020, Honorable Chair, the directions relating to the courts adopted a phased return to full functionality as the restrictions is. The restricted functioning of the courts has resulted in a significant increase in an already existing backlog of cases, especially in district and regional magistrate courts. This is of great concern. A delay in the administration of justice is never desirable. The department reported that it was initiating the development of a criminal case backlog plan with the participation of stakeholders. It also indicated that it was engaging the judiciary on such matters. Most courts have developed priority roles and other measures, such as the extension of the number of court hours are being considered. It is anticipated that additional resources will be needed to address the growing backlog in order to prevent a collapse in our legal system. We welcome the report that the minister intends to take a revised integrated justice system project plan, which takes into account the priorities arising from COVID-19 to cabinet soon. The revised uh, IGS project includes the accelerated rollout of the audiovisual remand link system to additional courts and correctional centers. The development of secure audiovisual facilities at the seats of regional courts, district courts in major centers to enable virtual trials and development of legislation for this purpose is, is very important. Digitization of documents spread across the criminal justice system value chain. Even this challenge of COVID-19 presents the opportunity to modernize the court processes urgently. Honorable Chair, the National Prosecuting Authority provides a coordinated prosecuting service that ensures that justice is delivered to the victims of crime through general and specialized prosecutions, removes the profit from crime, and pro protects certain witnesses. The NPA also forms part of the anti-corruption task team. It was reported that the NPA's annual performance plan for 2020-2021 is unaffected by the pandemic, although the number of cases finalized 
are reduced as a result of fewer cases being had. As the ANC Honorable Chair, we support the NPA and its aspirant prosecutor program. The reduction in the number of recruits for the aspirant prosecutor prosecutors is of concern. We hope that even this challenge will be addressed as this program is important for the strengthening of the NPA. The impact of the coronavirus is severe and is a significant and has significantly changed the way of life of our people. While this is the case and the picture looks bleak, I am reminded of the words of another president of the African National Congress and the Republic of South Africa, President Tabombeki. Unfortunately, your time has expired. Thank you, Chair. The ANC supports the budget vote. Thank you. Honorable members, we will now call upon the Honorable the Minister of Justice and Correctional Services. Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you, Chairperson, uh, for all the valuable inputs from um, Honorable members. I hear the Masters raise on corruption. We continue to put our money where our mouth is in the NPA is being rebuilt. The State Capture Commission is being supported and work is underway with various law enforcement agencies. Um, uh, the issue with regard to the regulations, Cabinet always ensure that the regulations are rationally connected to the intended objective of, 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 of COVID-19. They, they, they are done in that, in the, in, in that context. And um, Chairperson, these regulations, um, despite us having said that there, there is no legal requirement to do extensive consultation with regard to regulations, but Cabinet went out of its way to consult on the regulations, even sometimes post facto, because in certain instances it was impossible to consult before the regulations could be uh, promulgated, uh, given the complexities of the issues involved. And this was found in Norke versus Minister of Justice and Correctional Services, that it is not fatal to consult post uh, regulation, particularly where it was impossible to do so prior. And we have been consulting on various of these regulations. Even now, honorable members can still make their input on the regulations if there's any. Also, Chairperson, we are implementing various reports of um, in forensic investigations within the departments. Officials have been suspended and, um, and uh, disciplinary hearings are underway. Honorable members, uh, we next year is a historic milestone, which is a 25 years since the adoption of the final certification of our constitution. This presents our nation an opportunity to reflect and take stock of how far we have come in implementing the priorities and objectives of our constitution. We will, Chairperson, uh, ensure that um, there is an implementation with regards to the challenges that our court role is facing. Uh, as uh, members are raising concerns, we are also concerned the functioning, the proper functioning of the justice system. It is important for our society. We will uh, uh, ensure that this does uh, function, and uh, and we will be able to respond uh, adequately at some point. But at this stage, we are continuing with the discussion. House Chairperson, we have heard the cries of South Africans who yearn for justice. This includes women who are violated, poor people who are unlawfully and constitutionally evicted, 
under extreme inhuman conditions and paraded in the media. Some naked black legal professionals whose law firm face closure due to speed gripping patterns. South Africans who want those who plummeted the resources of the counter to face consequences of their actions and serve prison sentences and to recover the resources that have been looted. In honor of the struggle stalwart Uba Bumlangin, this year, uh, in this financial year, the, the, the legal uh, uh, forum that is uh, responsible to deal with evictions in the farms from rural development will be transferred to Legal Aid South Africa to deal with farm evictions and the land questions. And this will be done under the theme of land justice that will include the promulgation of the land court. In concluding, Chairperson, I want to call the words of Reverend Joseph Lowry. In South Africans are saying to us, we are not going back. We have come too far, marched too long, prayed too hard, wept too bitterly, bled profusely, and died too young to let anybody turn back the clock on our journey to justice. Thank you. Thank you very much. Morele, morele. Malibongwe. 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 The debate and the business of this virtual mini plenary session. The mini plenary will now rise. Thank you. Yes, yes,